Today we will be looking at one episode in the life of a slave, and we'll be doing that through the lens of Philemon, the epistle of Paul to Philemon, which you can find on page 1371 of your pew Bible. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have, to have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Today, I would like to look at those two verses, verses 15 and 16 in particular. For perhaps he, Onesimus, departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, 
both in the flesh and in the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever carried mail for someone? These days we have a pretty reliable postal system, but we still sometimes carry mail. Maybe if we're visiting family, going from one area to another, we'll go along carrying gifts for our grandchildren. I have many fond memories of my grandparents coming from the Netherlands, and it would be a time when we'd gather around them and wait for them to open their suitcases, because there would always be packages there to be spread around. And there's always a good reception for these. Now, they didn't have such a reliable postal system in the ancient world. They did have mail. You would have mail delivered in various ways. Dispatches from the Roman army. They would be sent from one commander who was out in a fort somewhere to his troops out in the field. They'd have men riding along those roads, couriers to deliver that. You'd also have men who would be able to send along letters with merchants traveling from one area to another, carrying not just their wares to sell there, but they'd also be carrying these letters from people. But for the most part, if letters were sent from one person to another, they would be sent with friends or acquaintances. You would write your letter, then you would wait until someone you knew was traveling from your place to wherever you wanted the letter to go, and you would give them the letter and ask, can you deliver this for me to that person? Because of this, they were usually very short. One page, about the length that you would find here in Philemon, or maybe in 2nd or 3rd John. That'd be the average length of a letter. Now, it wasn't always guaranteed that these letters would get where they were supposed to go. You'd have storms that the people carrying the letters would face. Especially on sea, this could be dreadful. You'd have potentially unreliable couriers carrying them. Although usually it was friends, you didn't know if it would get lost along the way. You would have robbers who could set on travelers and steal everything that they had. And maybe someone would just misplace it and forget that they had left it there and it would never reach its intended destination. Letters traveled a very long way in the ancient world and they would be gratefully received just having made it through all of that. But this letter, this letter would, want, would have been one that wouldn't have been as gratefully received, at least not at first. You can especially understand this if you consider the bearer of the letter. There would have been two men who were traveling to Colossae at this time, carrying these letters, and the first one would be Tychicus. We read about him in Colossians 4, verse 7 to 9. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the word, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. 
So Tychicus would be traveling to Colossae, where the letter of Philemon would be bound. But we also read, read there, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Onesimus would be accompanying Tychicus, and he would be bearing with him this letter to Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner. He was someone who was a wealthy man, had a substantial amount of property. And this letter was written to him concerning a slave, concerning Onesimus, the very man who would likely be bearing it. Paul was saying to him, I've got your slave, and I'm sending him back. And so we'll look at our theme today, leaving a slave and returning a brother. We'll be looking at this passage under that theme, leaving a slave, returning a brother. Philemon, it seems, was a wealthy landowner in Colossae. He lived there with Aphia, who is probably his wife, and Archippus, Paul's fellow soldier, he calls him, who is probably his son. Quite a bit prior to this, Paul had passed through the area, and he had shared the gospel with this man, this wealthy man, Philemon. And in due course, he became a Christian. If we look at verses 4 to 7 of this passage, we can see that he didn't just become a nominal Christian, but he was a very devoted Christian. He was someone who showed hospitality without hesitation, warmly welcoming people into his home. He was one who witnessed to those around, and Paul encouraged him in this. Paul encouraged him to compound this witness by acknowledging that every good thing came to him through Christ Jesus. You may have met people like this. You may have met people like this over the course of your life. Maybe you are a person like this. Acknowledging that every good thing comes to you through Christ Jesus. If you get something that helps you, if someone comes to your aid and in time of need, all this only by the grace of God. Constantly turning their eyes back to God, back to the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the kind of man that Philemon was. When Paul went his way, Philemon gathered together various other Christians who were with him, and he established a house church in his own home. Now this demonstrates to us that he was a man of wealth. His house was large enough to contain a small congregation, and that was a marker a symbol of wealth in that time. Most people wouldn't have been able to host that. We also know that he was a man of wealth because his house contained at least one guest room. We can see that Paul wanted it to be read, wanted this letter to be read to that group that had gathered in Philemon's home. He sent his greetings to them, to the church in your house, verse 2. We can also see that Philemon was a wealthy man due to the fact that he had slaves. 
Now, it can be easy to judge the fact that someone has slaves, but we have to be careful to read this within the context of the time. I heard someone compare it to, and obviously this is quite a stretch, compare it to the fact that we own cars today. We know that they are machines that pollute. We know that they fill up the atmosphere with all kinds of greenhouse gases. We know that cast-off tires, they are terrible for the environment. We know all kinds of things with regards to that. And yet, we still have cars because we can't do without them. The world runs off of them. It was the same way in the Greco-Roman world. Scholars say that about one-quarter to one-third of the population of the Greco-Roman world were slaves. And just like we look back in condemnation on that, people in the future might look back in condemnation on us for that kind of, for having vehicles. This must be taken into consideration with the fact that this was not 19th century slavery, though. There were no markers on these people. There was no way to tell slaves apart from the general population, for the most part. And from the outside, slaves looked like anyone else. In Israel, slaves were supposed to have rights. The Bible gave the idea that when somebody did, when an Israelite did, have to sell, them into sla- sell themselves into slavery, it would be a mutually beneficial thing that the master cares for and loves his slave, and that the slave, in return, works for their master for a set period of time, and then is released with enough to set themselves back on their feet. Sadly, though, this was often abused. And this was not the Roman practice, which would have been where Philemon found himself. That being said, even in the Roman practice, Slavery was something that people would willingly sell themselves into for the fact that they would get a square three meals a day. They would get clothes, they would get shelter, a roof over their heads. They would be provided for. However, whatever the view is on slavery, even seeing some benefits in the Roman system, in that culture, or if you reject it outright, that was not the point of this particular letter. Although Paul is speaking extensively about this slave, it's not the point of this particular letter. Paul is using this as a picture for Philemon and all the Colossian church. And we'll get to that later. The thing is, though, if you were a slave, you were still property. You still belonged to someone in the Greco-Roman world. Even with a Christian master who is hopefully fairer than the masters of those of your fellow slaves, you didn't belong to yourself. Onesimus lived in this setting, and he was not happy. He was not a happy slave at all. And this came out in his work. This came out in his ethic. He was unprofitable, they said. Onesimus' name meant useful. It meant profitable. And this made him an even more of a, even more of a laughingstock. The fact that he was an unprofitable slave who was named useful 
the combination of all these factors, the way he lived and everything else, this made life difficult for Onesimus. It made it unbearable for him. And so he ran. It seemed that as he ran, he stole from Philemon to pay for his flight. He would have had to. It was a long journey. And then he fled to Rome. He would have chosen Rome because Rome was a long ways away. It was about 2,000 kilometers away. People said in the day, all roads lead to Rome. And there was a reason for that. It was at the center of the empire, and roads spanned out across the empire from there so that Roman soldiers could quickly march from the center all the way to the outskirts. It was the busy capital of the empire. It was a place where Philemon could run away, uh, where Onesimus, pardon me, could run away. He had the potential to get lost in the crowds and not be discovered as a runaway slave. This was perhaps a chance for him to make something of himself, a chance for him to hide among the population so that he wouldn't have to answer for his crimes. During his time here, he was introduced by someone to Paul. Now we know that it wasn't Paul who sought him out, as Paul usually did. You remember from other passages where Paul, his uh, usual pattern was to go out to a marketplace, to go somewhere, and he would preach there. He would first spend time in the synagogues, then he would spend time in the marketplace preaching, and then he would go on. But that was not, his, not what happened here. Because at this point, Paul was in prison. He was under house arrest. Paul told him the good news. And Onesimus, too, became a Christian. It was God who brought him there. And there was no coincidence. This shows us that God is someone who is in control of everything. God has everything in his mind. There was no chance that simply led Onesimus to the right place at the right time, to meet with the very person that could bear the gospel to him, to meet the, with the very person that was connected to Philemon from so much earlier. No. God is the one who is in control of all events. He's the one who watches over it all. This also shows to us that the gospel is not just for the wealthy. The gospel is not just for those who are well off. It's not just for men like Philemon who have homes in which they can host people, who have prestige in their communities. But it's for everyone. The gospel is for those who are high to the very lowest, to even the slaves. The gospel is for all. And the gospel is for the most influential person here in Owen Sound. The gospel is for everyone, from our mayor, Ian Boddy, right down to the person serving coffee in Tim Hortons, from the wealthiest man who owns half of Owen Sound, right down to the poorest man who is living on the streets. It speaks to all of our lives. It speaks to every aspect of our lives. 
Onesimus receiving the gospel in this way was a reflection of this. Now Paul, being under house arrest, wouldn't have had an easy time of it. He would have been possibly on a second or third story. It would have been a building that he rented himself. And Rome provided no amenities for their prisoners. And the prisoners had to provide for their own food and clothes, and that's kind of difficult to do if you're sitting there chained to two Roman guards. But it seems that Onesimus began to be of aid to him in this time. He visited him first once to hear the gospel, then twice, then started asking him if there was anything he needed and started to provide for Paul. The two became close, as close, Paul says, as a father and a son. Now over this time that they grew to know each other, better and better, it seems that Onesimus confessed. One day, would have come before Paul. Paul, yes. Well, I have something I've got to tell you. What is it? I'm a slave, actually. I ran away from my master. I'm a slave who ran away from Philemon, a man in Colossae. Oh, I know Philemon. So, Paul decided to send Onesimus back. You can imagine the shock that it would have been to Onesimus at this point in time. Because if a slave runs away from his master, it could be a capital offense. He could be executed for himself. He could be executed for doing what he did. In fact, it wasn't until Hadrian in the 2nd century AD that Romans even had to ask the state magistrate for permission to kill slaves for crimes. So you can imagine the shock on Onesimus' face when Paul says, you should go back to Philemon. You should speak with him. Imagine the discussion that went on. Paul It's one thing to make things right, but I could be crucified for this. And yet Paul encourages him to go. And Paul writes a letter for him. Think about how this reception would have been as Onesimus comes back. Philemon would have wanted to do him harm, especially having stolen some potentially very personal gifts very personal items. He went there and he robbed the house and there would have been things that would have been passed down to them. There would have been things that were very precious to them. And Onesimus had stolen these and sold them. But Paul doesn't let that be a barrier. In fact, on sending him back, he even says in Verse 18, but if he has wronged you, implying that he has, or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay. What Paul was doing here was an amazing picture of the gospel. 
He was paying to his account. He was saying to this man Onesimus, this man who had run away, who had come back, who deserved by law death, whose master could have the choice to pardon him or to make him go. What Paul did, paying what Onesimus could not, was a beautiful picture. It was a perfect picture of the gospel for Philemon. What Paul did for him underwriting his debt, Jesus did for all. This is what Paul was trying to impress on Philemon, this slave master. This was what he was trying to ingrain in his mind. This gospel message that you've been hearing is not just something that you have accepted and that you kind of live by from day to day and sort of makes life better. No, this is something that transforms you. Welcome him as you would welcome me, he said. Even if Philemon was in a forgiving mood and Onesimus came back, he would have said, all right, well, you can join back with the other servants in the house. You can live there. But Paul says no. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Put him in your guest room, the best room in the house. Give him that fantastic food that your wife has cooked up. Provide for him. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Onesimus left as a slave. And he was accepted as a brother. Onesimus left as someone who had done criminal acts. And yet the gospel transformed him. Don't underestimate the power of this. Don't underestimate the transforming power of the gospel. It shows how Christianity, how believing in Jesus Christ made brothers and sisters that of slaves and slave owners, rich and poor. And this truth was a truth in time that would radically change the Roman Empire. It's a truth that in time will radically change us. When we fell in Adam, we all left as slaves. Left as slaves to sin. We lived in a life of sin being bound to it. But in Christ, we are no longer there. Seeking shelter in Him, we are accepted as Christ is. His money underwrites our death. Because of Jesus Christ coming before God with this account, with this letter, you might say, I have paid for his debt. Put that on my account. If he has wronged you, if he owes you anything, put that on my account. God accepts us. You put your trust in Jesus. You are forgiven. But more than that, all that God does for Jesus, He does for His own. This is not just a question of God saying, yes, you're forgiven. All right, now go back and join with the other slaves in the house. No. All that He does for Jesus, He does for His own. God welcomes us back as children into the household. Today we see 
before us, Riker Heard. His parents are tasked to raise him in the knowledge of this good news. It is good news that the promise is true for him too. It's true for all. Not just him. Not just the old man. Not just the rich man. It's true for the poor man. It's true for the needy. It's true for the humblest among us. This promise is made true for all. We see that again in the wonderful message of the Lord's Supper that we'll be celebrating this afternoon. People from every walk of life who accept Christ can be welcomed into the household of God and they can be treated as a brother. Amen.